Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Last Wednesday night, the Lord helped me to speak a word about the timing of God. And every message is different, and every series has its own life organically, if you will, where God takes us to on a journey. On this past Sunday, we preached hard about the cause and the cure, and we dealt with sin. And that wasn't a message that I was really pumped and primed and thinking, boy, we're just going to have a meeting. When you preach on sin, um, it, it can stir some devils up. <laughs> Not your neighbor, but... <laughs> some devils up. Our, our flesh does not like to be dealt with. And it's difficult. I had a pastor reach out to me today and ask me to make a list of all his positives and his negatives. And I responded and said, well, I have a whole long list of your weaknesses. Where would you like me to start? course I was kidding uh, because if you've ever had anybody father you or mother you or mentor you or coach you and they have to address some areas in your life that don't make anybody feel good it don't make me feel good but it's necessary the Bible teaches us that the, those who God chastens he loves so if the Lord is chastening you, it's a sign of his affectionate love towards you. I think the thing you have to worry about is when he stops chastening you. If you're no longer being chastened by God, then maybe you do not have a legitimate relationship with him. Because if you're his, he will chasten you. <laughs> he will deal with you. How many of you deal with your children? You don't do it because you hate them right? Discipline's not something you do to your children. It's what you do for your children. And one of the things is to deliver their soul and bring them into a place of productive living in, as a citizen of this great country. Amen. We are in a pandemic, epidemic of fatherlessness in our nation. I read a statistic just uh, this week that 24.1 million children who have no father in the home. And that's a lot to deal with. So the church, you and I, we have a responsibility to father, mother, and raise up children. I grew up in a church, in the early church, I call it the early church, where even the church mothers would spank you. Uh, there was a lady named Sister Coleman. She sat behind my mother, and uh, she got on my nerves because she was always telling on me. And she would, my mom and daddy would be up singing their special, and they'd come back down, and Sister Coleman would lean up and say, Russ was in your purse. Uh, And, you know, you just knew that you don't get in your mother's purse. 
but I was on the search for a cert, a breath mint. I needed some candy. I needed something in between my songbook forts and my cars, uh, you know. But it took a village to raise us. And so today, you can't even hardly say anything to anybody's child. <laughs> amen. I, there's a lot of amens that just want to come. But because if you say something to somebody, son, you got you to gotta deal with mommy and daddy. And they, pro they need dealt with themselves. <laughs> oh, that's not in my notes. But I want to speak this, morning, this evening on it's time to leave it alone. And I want to piggyback off last Wednesday on the timing of God and move in this direction, not leaving the element of time. It is time to leave it alone. And I want to read out of Matthew chapter 13 in the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 13. And I want to remind you that everything Jesus said, he did it with a story. The scriptures say that he spoke not, lest he spoke in parable. In other words, he was the greatest storyteller that ever lived. He brought in illustrations. He brought in things that you and I could identify. If he was talking to fishermen, he would use fishing illustrations. If he was talking agriculture, he would talk in farming terms. He knew how his audience was, and he knew what stories to convey. And so here, Jesus, in this first part of this chapter, is giving them the parable of the seed and the sower. He would later then call the disciples over and say, now I taught, I gave the story, but to you I'm going to give the interpretation. See, that's why proximity matters. Where you sit determines what you get. The closer you sit to him, the more that you get revelation. Are you here? So if you're a distant follower of Jesus, uh-oh, you, you're not going to get the, 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 the real meat and potatoes. You'll get the residuals. You'll get the overflow of other people's understanding. But you may not really understand the interpretation, the hidden meaning. And that, I think that's what he would say to us. And isn't it time that in this year of 2023 to usher in the coming of the Lord, living in a time that we're living in, that we have hidden meaning? The night is too far spent for us to just live off of somebody else's experience. I need a revelation for me. I believe God's doing that at Bethel Family Worship Center. This Sunday, you're going to hear an amazing testimony in addition to Pastor Norton, but you're going to hear a, an amazing testimony of God's miracle power. And God is taking us deeper. In Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, this is what the writer said. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. This is how you would say the devil is always slipping and sliding, peeping and hiding. 
He did it while they were not awake, but asleep. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? (laughs) An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Everybody say it's time to leave it alone. I would say in the story, we have a certain man who has had his servants do something that any good farmer would have his employee do, plant good seed. I don't believe there's a business owner here that hired somebody hoping they would quit. (laughs) At least not at first. (laughs) I don't think there's a business owner, an entrepreneur here, an employer, a manager, a supervisor that is hoping that the crew shows up with bad attitudes, laziness. Uh, We had a guy doing mulch for us today. Um, A company came out and he had a whole crew and uh, I stuck my head out the window to see what was happening, Pastor Bev and I were discussing uh, how fast they were doing the job. And while there were several on the crew who were busted, I mean, they were about it. There's this one dude that stood over in the same spot, raking the same area over and over, had his phone out on his boss's time. Uh Uh-oh, don't get anybody get convicted here. (laughs) If you own your company's time, that's not your time. That's not time to be on Instagram, Insta, Insta, whatever it is. (laughs) It's quiet in here now because, I mean, we, we... But he stayed in that same area, and I thought to myself, Woo, I don't know if I can put up with that. But you know, here when the boss would come walking around, he'd get after it. (laughs) So none of us hire anybody hoping that they will be a dud or uh, uh, be somebody who's lazy. Because to hire some, I mean, whew. So he hired his servants not to sow bad seed, but what kind of seed? good seed in the field. And the Bible says while they slept. And you know, I used to preach um, against them sleeping until I realized that everybody has to go to sleep sometime. Early in my ministry and early with pastoring at this church 24 years now, um, my work ethic has always been strong, always about it. Uh, many hours, many hours of working. 
and a joy to do it because it's also a calling to do. But I would definitely say that as I've grown older, that I've mellowed up a little more and realized the team and how they get things done and how the morale and the incentives of resting and also knowing that there are times we're extra productive and times that we can also breathe in and breathe out. And so I realized from this text, we can't be upset at them for sleeping because you have to sleep sometimes. It's impossible for you to stay up around the clock and be healthy. You can stay up around the clock, but you won't be healthy. I've often said, especially to our leaders, late Saturday nights hinder productive Sunday mornings. That if you own the internet or you own Nintendo or PlayStation talking to people in China at three in the morning, no wonder you come in dragging on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. Oh, it's quiet now here. So you're not healthy if you stay up all the time. Ooh. So everybody say, I do enjoy my sleep. But it's while they're sleeping that the enemy slips in and plants the weeds or what the Bible calls in the King James the tares and he plants them while they're sleeping. He doesn't do it while they're awake. He does it while they're sleeping. So in the story, they don't wake up the next morning and know that the enemy has been there because the enemy planted it in such a way that when they wake up in the morning, they haven't noticed any changes. It wasn't until the thing began to grow. Then they realized something's off here. Something's off about this brother. Something's off about this sister. Now, write this down if you will. Notice the timing. It was not the next day, but while, while they did not notice it, evil weeds were sown in their good wheat. And anybody who understands this understands that there are principles or important truths that you can learn from this. I want you to write this down, lesson number one, planting of good in the presence of bad. It would be naive to think that the planting of good would exempt you from the presence of bad. The Bible teaches us it rain on the just and the unjust. Bad things still do happen to good people. I'm proof of that. You are proof of that. So it's naive to think that the planting of good would ever exempt you from the presence of bad. And that's important to understand just because God allows wheat to be planted, it doesn't mean that the weeds are going to be restricted. The enemy not going to help you live for God. The very moment that you announce your calling or announce your salvation experience or you announce that you're going to do this for God, you rest assured, you'll stir a devil up. And God will not restrict the weed in the presence of the wheat. Are you hearing me? The kingdom is like this. Now write this down. We have to be able to produce in the presence of weeds. 
And I've just come to teach, preach a little bit tonight that you have to be able to still function in the presence of your enemy. You can't quit just because the devil said boo. You have to be able to produce in the presence of weeds. So for all of us who are waiting for all the weeds to be gone before we produce the wheat, you're not digging deep enough into the text because the text declares there will never be a day that you can be wheatful without being weedful. Mm. There will never be a time that you can be wheatful without being weedful. God allows the wheat to be planted. That doesn't mean that the weeds will be restricted. Wheat is planted with great intentionality. Can I say that again? If you're gonna plant wheat, it's intentional. Because wheat is not going to grow in the ground unless it is planted. It is not indigenous. Wheat don't just pop up. You got to plant it. Wheat growing is not the natural result of climate or the soil or the rain or the sunshine. Wheat has to be planted. Come on, somebody. Nobody succeeds by accident. Nobody wins a marathon accidentally. Nobody wins the Olympics accidentally. No one earns their master's degree accidentally. Nobody passes their GED accidentally. Nobody gets a promotion accidentally. Just because you pray doesn't mean you win. There's work involved. There's sweat involved. I know you were tired before you got here and here I'm talking about work and sweat. There's labor involved. And if you're going to plant wheat, there's agriculture involved. And agriculture means that the intention of sowing the seed is that I might have the wheat. And the intention of having wheat is that I might have the bread. I got to plant the seed to grow the wheat so I can eat the bread. Come on, somebody. Write this down. It goes from seed to wheat to bread and all of that's gonna take time. It don't happen overnight from the time you plant in the soil and you put the seed in there and you nourish it. There's a process of time before you ever get to the kitchen, before you ever take the honey loaf out of the oven. There is a process called time. I can't plant the seed today and expect to eat the bread tonight because it takes time. I need you to elbow your neighbor and tell him it takes time. So if I'm going to be seedful, I have to be patient for the seed to grow first down and then up. Did you catch that? It's got to grow down before it ever grows up. And some of us are standing over our life looking at our life and talking about, I don't see nothing. I don't see nothing. I keep sowing and I don't see nothing. I've been going to this church and I've been tithing and I've been doing, I don't see nothing. You got to understand that the seed grows down before it ever grows up. 
you're not supposed to see it. <laughs> but just because you don't see it doesn't mean that the roots aren't growing down in that soil. And I feel God in this place. If you'll wait a little while, it's going to go from seed to wheat and from wheat to bread. And there is work in between every stage. Preach in there, pastor. You got to work in every stage. The seed is work. The wheat is work. The bread is work. Write this down. You cannot eat any better than you work. I feel like teaching tonight. Nudge your neighbor and say, your, your blessing is going to be some work. See, when you and I get through dancing and shouting and talking about the promise of God, you got to understand that you're going to have to break some sweat. You're going to have to put some effort in it. You're going to have to grind the wheat. You're going to have to pulverize the wheat. You can't just bring the wheat in and make bread until you crush it. It has to be crushed. Oh, I wish I could help this sanctified church. It has to be crushed. It's got to be put in usable form. Sometime God will break you for better use. He has to break me in order to use me. The alabaster box, the seal had to be broken for the fragrance to come out and to fulfill the task of early burial preparation for our Lord. So the wheat has to be crushed in order for it to be in usable form. And so it doesn't mean that God hasn't blessed you with the bread. It could mean that you haven't put in the work yet to go from seed to wheat to bread. I want you to write this down. I may not be ready for consumption right now. I'm trying to raise an army up here. And we get weary because we see someone else being blessed and them walking in this and walking in that and everybody wants to put, put it on their testimony page so they can brag a little bit, maybe not because they're bragging on themselves, but bragging on what God is doing. And if you're not careful, You'll look at that and say, well, why is that not happening for me? Because you may not be ready for consumption right now. There has to be work to crucify your flesh, to crucify those old natures and all the stuff that goes into it. I'm in process and I'm, I'm going somewhere, but I'm still in process. Don't look at me uh, funny and don't look down at me because I'm not bred yet because I, I want you to understand I, I am a seed and, uh, and I have to go down in order for me to go up. And then after I come up, I gotta be crushed and it's a painful process. Come on church, so I, don't get mad at me because I'm not caught up to you. I, I'm not bred yet. I, I may be in the wheat stage. I may be in the seed stage, uh, but I'm on my way to the place that God is destined for me to be. Who am I talking to? That you have to understand that God is taking you somewhere. God told me to tell somebody tonight, hang on in there. God said, I'm not finished with you yet. There is a process. I, I'm taking you through the process and in the right time, I'm going to move you from seed to to wheat to bread. Y'all to praise God tonight. It don't matter what stage you in, you in his hand and God knows exactly where you are. Can you say amen? My second point tonight is notice the wheat. Everybody say notice it. 
The reason it is planted, and I shared this with you a minute ago, is that it's not indigenous to the land. Wheat don't just grow in the mountains. It don't just show up in a field. It has to be planted. It's like corn in Indiana and soybeans. Somebody has to plant the seed. It don't just grow on its own. Wheat has to be planted. The word agriculture, and I want to I dive on this. The word agriculture is rooted in the word cult. I want you to say the word cult. Now, that's a hard word. Because when we use the word cult, we're thinking of somebody who's caught up in hooky spook. Amen? Somebody doing some kind of witchcraft somewhere. Some kind of mess, a mess going on. But if you dive into the meaning, the word cult literally means that it's not orthodox or it's not natural or it's not normal. So that is the root word of agriculture. Come on. It's not normal. Cult is not normal. It's not natural. And it's not orthodox. But the word agra means land. Now stay with me. That means that wheat is not normal to the land. You can't just wish for it. You have to make it happen. <laughs> Agriculture, and even in that word is the word culture. Mm. Now notice, you have to work to make this happen. It's not just going to happen on its own. Wheat is not indigenous. You have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about your own growth. You have to be intentional about your own spiritual development. Shaking my hands, not going to get you there. Having everybody lay hands on you and pouring a gallon of oil on your head and prophesying till you blew in the face. None of that is going to get you there. Obedience is going to get you there. But you have to do your part. Wheat is not indigenous. It has to be planted with intentionality. You have to work on it. You have to labor for it. And, and I need to take a moment to teach here because you were not raised in an environment that agrees with your dream. But just because you were not raised in an environment that doesn't agree with your dream, that doesn't mean you can't have a dream. And that doesn't mean that you can't dream a lofty dream. That you can dream with great expectation from God. It means, though, that you've got to be cultural enough to go against the grain of your environment. Who am I preaching to? Even if I'm the only one in my family, even if I'm the only one in my neighborhood, even if I'm the only one in my city, even if I'm the only one in my house, come on, somebody. They don't like me at the family reunion. They don't invite me back to the parties. And your friends have changed because you're too cultish for them. Ooh 
you're too out of uh, unorthodox. You're too not normal. You're, you, you're too stretchy. You're trying to do something. What are you trying to be better than us? Uh, you got these big dreams. You're all walking for the Lord and all of that stuff. You broke the rules. I'm preaching to somebody here tonight, and I thank God for every rule breaker that's in this room, even those that don't like to break the rules. Somebody broke the rules and got out. Somebody broke the rules and got out of dysfunction. Somebody broke the rules and got out of the mess that was put up on them. If you got out, make some noise in this house. If you understand what I'm saying, tell somebody, I broke out, I broke out, I broke out. Can I go deeper? You have to be willing to be different. You have to be willing to be controversial. You have to be willing to be talked about. Who can I get a smile from somebody? You, you got to live your life in such a pattern that it doesn't matter what they say about me. It don't matter what they posted about me. Don't matter what they lied about. Don't matter what they said to try to make their own self look good. I'm going to do what God tell me to do. Let God arise and every enemy be scattered. You got you to stand right now and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it don't matter what's going on in the culture. It don't matter what's happening in the political arena. They try trying to make, give new names to old sins. They make everything that's evil, they calling it good. And everything that's good, they calling it bad. I ain't buying into that stuff. No, 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 no. It may be gravy for them, but it ain't gravy for me, baby. I'm going to live by thus saith the word of the Lord. And every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, I'm not living by what they telling me out of Washington, D.C. I'm not living by what they telling me out of Hollywood. I wish I could preach here tonight and tell you, you've got to be counter-cultural to a degree that people understand you are not orthodox. You don't just go with the flow of this world. You don't just go with the flow of this community. You stand around and you say, I'm going to live for God. They may have to... They put us, they killed the prophets of old and they had turned some of them upside down and hung them for dead and they put spears through them and they took the head of John the Baptist. But I'm telling you, somebody got to stand up and say, as for me and my house. I'm telling you, when you live your life out there and you declare, you defy what the world's saying. A man does not belong in the women's restroom. A man doesn't belong in women's sports. I'm gonna say it again, it is a shame, it is a disgrace and a mockery to every good woman in here. God made two genders, male and female. Why do I have to preach that in this church? Because the devil's loose. <laughs> the greatest problem in our community right now is that we are so sensitive. We're more worried about being liked than we are about being truthful holiness what does the word say not what the politicians say not what the republicans say not what the democrats say what does the word say
And if you know the word, it'll be a resource. It'll be fatness to your bones. Hallelujah. It'll be gladness to your soul. This word will stand when everything else falls. And I'm telling you, there's failures and falling all around us. But this word will stand forever. I'm not worried about being like this kind of preaching will run people off. I'm saying to you, I'm not asking what they are saying. I'm not worried about what they said. I want to know what did he say? What does his word say about my living? And unless, oh, Jesus said, unless you deny your mother and deny your father and your sister and your brother and you deny your own self, you cannot be my disciple. Can I preach the Bible? Do you want me to preach the Bible to you? I come to tell you whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Lord. I'm telling you that we must live a life that is intentional. You are not indigenous to this world. You come from another country. You an alien. Look at somebody and say, I knew there was something about you. I knew it. <laughs> I'm supposed to be teaching tonight, but I feel a little preachy. This is a good lesson. Write this down. Whenever there is great potential for harvest, the enemy will always tag the spot with tragedy. And I'll give you an example. If you Google something that you're interested in, when you find it, your phone and my phone has a feature that lets you bookmark that so that I can find it again readily. Tag it. So I can tag it on my computer or tag it in my phone so I can recall it and then visit it at a future time. And the enemy does the same thing. Whenever he sees potential, he will tag it for tragedy. God knew that our daughter was going to be raised in ministry. And she's serving as our worship pastor today. That wasn't just coincidence. That wasn't just we wanted that to happen. There was seed, wheat, crushing before there was ever bread. She's about to graduate with her master's degree in social work. I'm excited for her. But when she was in her mother's womb, the doctors showed us the test and said she has spina bifida. And she will be born with an open spine and be crippled all her life. And we were young youth pastors serving in ministry. And I said, God, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Here we are living for you, doing our best. We're, we barely got enough money to even eat groceries. And, and what is going on? And so I remember when the doctors gave us the test, showed us the test, gave us the report that Beverly and I we didn't have a computer. We didn't have a cell phone. We went to the library and rented a, an encyclopedia or a, a medical dictionary to look up what 
spina bifida was. And we opened it up and, and sat at the kitchen table and we read over it. We were in our early 20s, 20, I was 21 years old and we were reading over that and thinking, my God, what, what does this mean? I don't even understand what is happening here. And I told Beverly, I said on Sunday morning, this was on a Friday, I said on Sunday morning when we get to the church, I said, no matter what they do, when they call for the altar call, and when they call for anybody that wants prayer, we're going forward, and we're going by faith. And I remember when they gave the invitation that morning, and the call, I could hardly wait. Sister Shonda, I could hardly wait. I was so ready. I had so much expectation. I felt like the woman who had to press through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. I said, if I could just get there, if I could just get to that altar. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? I know it wasn't in a man. I know it wasn't in a campus, it wasn't in a move, it was in faith alone in Jesus Christ. But when they said, if you have a need, come, Beverly and I took hands and we went down and she was pregnant. And here we went down and said, we need God to undertake and move on our behalf. They laid hands on us. They anointed us with oil. They prayed the prayer of faith. Oh, thank God. When the Bible said, let them that are sick call. For the Bible said, let them that are elders of the church and let them anoint with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and if they've committed any sins they shall be forgiven well I feel like preaching tonight do you know what happened we went back the very next week for a follow-up so they could run more tests they ran a test they ran another test and they ran another test and they said we don't know what happened but the baby is normal oh let me preach to you and tell you that the devil tried to tag her with tragedy. He don't tag anything he don't see potential in. Now listen to this. He doesn't plant the weeds before the wheat. Notice the sequence. Come on, believer. It was the wheat being planted that causes them to plant the weed. They didn't plant the weed and then plant the wheat. The wheat attracted the weed. Oh, I feel like preaching. The wheat attracts the weed so that the enemy can tag the harvest. The devil knew God was going to bless you. Hell knew God was going to use you. Hell knew that God had a purpose on your life. So he tried to tag you with tragedy early in your life to get you to quit to get you to see so offended that you would never go back to church. Oh, my, my, to keep you rocked by, to sleepified, so you would stay asleep and never wake up. And so while the men slept, he came planting in the dark, sowing in the soil. Oh, I didn't see him plant it. I don't get to see what he plants. I don't get to see what he planted. He is covered in the darkness 
of night because that's how the enemy operates. Come out of that dark corner. Oh my, my, my. He covers himself in the darkness of night and his craftiness is hidden under the soil. And when they wake up in the morning, they don't see no difference. They don't see anything different. And how many of you have gone through something and nobody saw any difference? My God. And you know why? Because you got a good root system. You, oh, you got good teaching that'll keep you. And so when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I just take a wash rag and wash my face and I still go to work and I still go to church and I still do what I got to do because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. You got a good root system. The devil should have killed you when he had the chance. (laughs) And when the men woke up that morning, they didn't know. When they were watering the wheat as the season went on, they didn't realize they were also watering weeds. Leader, leaguer, Leader, pastor, deacon, elder, minister, church member. While you're watering the wheat, you will also be watering the weeds. Just let that sit there for a minute. And the infrastructure of what is happening in the field has now become an underground system before the wheat ever shows its head. There is a system at work before the wheat ever comes up out of the ground, Brother Donald. Systems at work. Let me teach. Before the wedding, Before the degree, before the call to ministry, you were fighting a system. You are fighting a system now. You're not fighting a devil, you're fighting a system. Right now, believer, I can go many ways with this, but let me just say it this, us as believers, We are fighting a worldly system that is trying to make us swallow their pill. How deep are you? Depends on what you will let bother you on the surface. I remember when all I could see for days and days were just tangled up roots. I didn't understand then what I understand now. I'm fighting an infrastructure, a system that's designed to take me out. You are fighting an infrastructure. And Jesus said in the text in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like. Say that with me. The kingdom of heaven is like. Listen to what Jesus is saying. When he says the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying the war is underground. 
The war is underground. See, you can see someone's limp or a deformity, but you can't always see someone's emotional scar or some mental illness. Come on, somebody. Sometimes it's underground. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ooh. And you're trying to fight on top of the soil, but the system is underground. You're trying to fight it in the flesh, but the system is in the spirit. It's in the spirit world. It's in the spirit world. It's in the spirit world. Somebody say it's in the spirit world. So the enemy brought me to my next point. Number four, corruption and destruction are two different things. Now hold on to that. Corruption and destruction are two different things. Say that with me. Corruption and destruction are two different things. Now notice, he could not destroy the wheat, so all he could do was corrupt the environment in which the wheat was coming. The devil could not destroy the wheat. So what he tried to do was corrupt the environment from which the wheat is trying to grow. And I'm telling you something tonight. The devil couldn't stop you from coming up. The devil couldn't stop you from sprouting. The devil couldn't stop you from surviving the divorce. He couldn't stop you from surviving the bankruptcy. He couldn't stop you from surviving the, the tragedy that you had to go through. He could not stop you from coming up. He just wanted to make it hard for you. He just wanted to keep you in turmoil. We know what the system is and we know who planted it. That's why we are not ignorant concerning his devices. Come on, Pentecostal church. The question remains in the text, why did he plant it? Why did he plant it? And that's an important question because if you don't understand why he planted it, you can't figure out how to overcome it. So you have to understand why the enemy planted it. And my first thought was, well, maybe the weeds will kill the wheat. But the truth of the matter is that the wheat and the weeds can grow up right beside each other and everybody growing at the same time. And if it was wheat when it was in, went into the ground, it'll be wheat when it comes out of the ground. My God, just because you planted next to some weeds don't mean you're going to be a weed. You're going you to still come up as a wheat in the ground. I wish I could teach this tonight. If it went into the ground as wheat, it will come up out of the ground as wheat. So if the weeds didn't kill the wheat, then why did he plant it? If the weed wouldn't kill the wheat, then why did he plant it? And again, Jesus said, and the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Say it with me, Bethel. The kingdom of heaven is like. I want to show you something. If he couldn't 
couldn't curse what God had blessed, if he couldn't change the molecular structure of what God planted in me, if he couldn't change my wheat to a weed, then why did he go out at night and slither around and put weed next to my wheat in my life? Oh, the temptation is not in the substance of the wheat and the weed, but it is the decision of how you handle the wheat and the weed. And the whole mystery of the question when they asked him, from whence cometh this? They said, from whence cometh this? And the master said in verse 28, an enemy has done this. I've come to preach, Bethel. An enemy has done this. They said, well, should we go? Here it is and pull up the weeds. And he said, no, leave it alone. No, leave it alone. Because the master knew that there was an underground system that was at work that had to be dealt with. Even if you pull only the weeds there is such a tangling in the roots he said if you pull up the weed you'll pull up the wheat with it my god oh now i understand what the devil was trying to get me to do He was trying all along to make me take matters in my own hands and operate in my flesh. But the Holy Ghost told me to tell somebody, it is time to leave it alone. Focus on your wheat. The weed will not take you over. Stand to your feet tonight. Tell your neighbor it is time to leave it alone. Time is too expensive to spend. The trick is you wait it out. The master said, leave it alone. Quit talking about it. Quit mulling over it. Quit trying to make it happen. Quit trying to control it. You're wasting all your time and time is too expensive to spend it's a setup the devil's trying to get you to take matters in your own hand but if I know that weed cannot change wheat again I ask why did he plant it He planted it to trick you into this impatience in you where you start feeling like you're running out of time and you've got to do something now. This is not your battle. There is wisdom in waiting. 
The most expensive seed you'll ever plant is time. If you sow money, you will get more money. Because isn't that what the word said? Give and it shall be. But if you plant time, you'll never have it again. Stay with me. And the enemy has plagued you with this spirit of urgency. I heard this in my prayer. That makes you want to take matters into your own hands. And I heard the Lord say, tell the people it is time to leave it alone. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God said, leave it alone. Let it go. But pastor, they said this about me. Let it go. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together. You're not fighting on top of the soil. There's an infrastructure taking place. That's why Bethel didn't get caught up in the political mess ups. Oh, there was all kinds of stuff happening in the last couple years. And we didn't put our head in the sand and we're oblivious to unjust things. No, we're not. But this is what matters most. Because it don't matter what color of skin I am, this Bible is my roadmap. It's what brought my ancestors out of the mountains. When my grandmother was raising five children as a widow, put on her own, her, her deceased husband's bibbed overalls, got behind an old mule. There was no welfare. She had to make it in the mountains with no running water and no electricity and no indoor plumbing at the head of the holler. And God got her through with the word. Those are my people. Because from the moment it's a seed till it becomes wheat, until it becomes bread, there's work in every bit of it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And as much as I love mommy and daddy, they can't get me saved. I have to live for God for me. As much as I love my children and my grandbabies, they will have to make that decision on their own. But I understand at this stage in my life, and I want you to understand, Bethel, there's an underground infrastructure at work that's trying to get us divided and plotted and destroyed. We must stand our ground. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So when they came to me and they said, what's your opinion on this? I said, I, what does the word say? 
Well, what does your opinion on? Well, what does the word say? We have a sin problem. And we know who's behind it. My issue is not with you. Your issue is not with me. Our issue is with the enemy who's warred against our mind to try to pull us apart. I had a man come to me Sunday morning after church, after second service, but we had a packed house. He came to me, he said, I had been looking for a place like this. A, I, I, I want my kids to be in a Pentecostal, apostolic, spirit-filled, whatever. He said something like this. <laughs> See, when you're in the presence of God, you can bear witness. And you know, we would, as a diverse body of believers, God give us enough grace that we would even grace one another because we see a bigger picture. It's about the kingdom. And he said, I, uh, he said, I've been looking for a place like this. He said, I didn't know there was churches like this with such diversity. He said, I, I just didn't know. And so I would say to all of us who call it common, don't become numb to what God has done. Hold on. I've cried many a tear as a pastor when people have walked away and said nothing. When you've poured your heart into people, I've had to learn how to pastor with an open hand and not a closed fist. It's hard. If I could be transparent, I don't understand why people do or I don't understand goofy stuff. I don't understand how people get offended at everything. But I have learned, and I don't mean this disrespectful, people who are trying so hard to make something for themselves and be something, trying so hard to be noticed. <laughs> that I found, and maybe you found too, that people will criticize you, but they've never done what you do. So you can't even lay that to their charge. You just have to keep going. And you can't let tragedy cause you to lose your tenderness. Because ministry and life itself will make you callous. It'll make you hard. It'll make you rough around the edges. So you have to ask God. Lord, remind me to stay tender and tough at the same time. And then allow God to show you your problems not with people, but there's an underground infrastructure at work, roots that need to be dealt with. And unless those roots are dealt with, they will still bear a fruit of things that are strifeful and vexed and viced so it has to be dealt with 
And what better place to have our transgressions dealt with than at the cross of Jesus. And in a loving church family where people love us unconditionally, but just because they love us unconditionally doesn't mean that they will let us go down the wrong path. They will love us enough to stand in our way and correct us. That's love. And that's God being faithful to our soul. So I would say to those of you that are here tonight and you recognize there have been some weeds sown. I say what the master said, leave it, leave it alone. He said, when it comes time, I'll separate it. Maybe you're dealing with a, a battle, a court battle, or some type of legal situation. I felt that. God said, leave it alone. You're losing sleep over it. There's a system at work, but you're not going to fix it by battling on the topsoil. It's happening underneath. Let me deal with it. Maybe your marriage is in rough shape and you're fighting against one another. Quit trying to change one another. See the good. I know the battle's real, but see the good because there's a system at work against you. If you'll recognize it and you'll understand it, then you will say to the devil, you will not move me to a place of impatience. Just because we got in an argument and a fight doesn't mean I'm going to run down and try to file for papers against you. I'm going to leave it alone. My God, help us tonight. Help us tonight. Help us tonight. Father, we ask for your divine help and strength and goodness to us. Show us, Lord, how to live in your time. Thank you, Lord, for not allowing us to get ahead of ourselves. And God, if we've thought things we shouldn't have thought, we repent of it. If we've said things we shouldn't have said, we repent of it. If we've done things we shouldn't have done, we repent of it. And we come clean to you. We come clean to you. And you said that you were so faithful and so just that you would forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I will not allow myself to live under condemnation. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. And tonight I yield to you, God, and I thank you for the wheat that you planted in the soil of my heart. Father, for those that are here, Lord, that are needing prayer, I ask you to touch their heart. Those that are confessing to you, God, I ask you to lean your ear towards them and hear their cry. And in this moment, release it to God. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 